any way gives us a license to do wrong. I'm just saying that should make you want to do right. That should give you a desire to serve this God and know Him more just because He remains faithful no matter what. And I'm thankful tonight. He is truly, truly good. His grace is absolutely amazing and sufficient for each and every one of us. Take your Bibles, please. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. And we're going to start off or or finish up what we started last week. We're just going to continue on um, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, straight through the book of 1 Corinthians. I think last time we were together, we got down to verse 16. And so what I want to do tonight is just read for you verse 17 through the end of the chapter. And then we'll come back and unpack this as far as we can. Look what it says. Now, in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that when you come together... Not, it's not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When you come together therefore into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, every one taketh before the other his own supper. And one is hungry, and another is drunken. Let's go on to verse 22. What? Have you not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? He says, I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner, also he took the cup, And when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you show the Lord's death till he come. Everybody say that with me. Say, till he come. Verse 27. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. The word sleep there is the word the Bible uses for death. Many have died because they drank unworthily of the cup of communion. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. Everybody say that with me, one for another. How many of you know the Bible is always talking about one for another? Amen. We, we serve, we worship, um, we do what we do inside the body of Christ, certainly for the Lord Jesus, but for one another. And that's the point that he's making. Let's go on. He says then in verse 34, And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together into condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. Let's pray together. Father, again, we love you. And Lord, I'm so thankful tonight for your grace and mercy. We're thankful for your goodness, for your faithfulness. Lord, I'm thankful that you have shown us grace, and we can receive it by faith, Lord, in you. How good you truly are, Lord, we praise you for it. Thank you, God, for doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. Lord, we're thankful this evening that you promise when we gather together for the purpose of worshiping you, that you meet with us. Lord, I know here this evening 
Um, you're with us, Lord, and you can do what you want, when you want, how you want, with whom you want. Lord, we're asking that you just have your way and your will in this place. God, you do your work that only you are capable of doing. Holy Spirit, I pray that you use me this evening as your mouthpiece. Speak to me and speak through me your words to these people. We need to hear what thus says the Lord. Lord, help us to glean from your word exactly what is needed in each and every life. We pray for conviction where conviction is needed. And Lord, we pray for comfort where comfort is needed. You know what we need better than we know what we need. And we're asking, Lord, for you to have your will and way. In Jesus' mighty name we pray and for your sake. Amen. Amen. Now, in verse number 17, Paul starts off by telling them right out, right out of the gate. He says, now this that I'm about to declare to you, this that I'm going to speak to you, it's not going to be praise. I'm not going to be praising you in these things. He's really telling them, I'm not going to give you praise, but correction. He's telling them, I'm not going to, it's not going to be a time of rejoicing, but it's going to be a time of rebuke. Now, why does he say that? Because the church at Corinth was not doing things the way God uh, wanted things done. When it came to corporate worship, when it came to eating the Lord's Supper, when it came to fellowshipping together, they had a lot of problems. There was a lot of things going on in this church that was very carnal. Uh, very fleshly, motivated by the flesh. And so he makes it plain, I don't praise you in all this I'm about to talk to you about. He, it's not a time of praise but correction, not a time of rejoicing but a time of rebuke. Now let me say something to you folks. He said it to the church at Corinth because it was needful for them to hear what he had to say, that rebuke he's about to give. But how many of you know, in collectively in every church, there are times when we need rebuke and we need correction. Anytime, anytime that we are not doing things the way God says things need to be done, according to his truth, according to his word, then we need rebuke. We need correction. That's not only true in, uh, collectively as a church body, but that's certainly true individually in our own personal lives. I need rebuke from time to time when I get in the flesh and do things that are not pleasing unto the Lord. And you need rebuke from time to time when you get in the flesh and do things that are not pleasing unto the Lord. You say, well, Brother Israel, how in the world do you know what I do? Well, I don't know what you do, but I know what the Bible says. The Bible says if any man says he, he don't have sin, he don't have a problem with sin, that he's a liar and the truth's not in him. Amen? But in the book of 1 John chapter number 1. So the truth is, we all need correction. We all need rebuke from time to time. Now the problem is this. Rebuke and correction is sometimes very hard to hear. It really is. And, and I'll be honest, folks, sometimes I don't like to hear it. You know, I mean, it's tough on us all. Even though it's hard to hear, listen, it's absolutely necessary for our growth as children of God. We've got to have it. If we don't know what we're doing wrong, then we don't know what is right. If we don't know we're headed in the wrong direction, how can we turn around and Repent and get headed in the right direction. But we've got to know what's wrong. We've got to know what's right. And that's what rebuke and correction is all about. And that's what Paul does for the church at Corinth here. Um, I tell people all the time, you know, uh, for me as a pastor, I enjoy, I love to preach the word of God. I know that's what God has called me to. And there's nothing more blessed to me than be able to share a message that God has put on my heart. 
I, I, I love it. I'd rather do this than eat when I was hungry. And y'all know how I like to eat. I mean, I, I really enjoy this. This is what I know God wants for me. But now, I also love to hear preaching. And I realize I need it just like everybody else needs it. I've told you before that um, before I ever come out and give a message to you, I've got to get on my face before the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me of where I failed you. And I'm, gonna, I'm convinced that about... Uh, probably 80 to 90% of what the Lord gives me in a message is for me before, before anyone else. I really do. So we all need this rebuke. We all need this correct, correction. Whether you're in the pulpit or you're in the pew, we're all really in the same boat. We're all growing in our faith. We are all still a work in progress. Let me show you how you know, tell you how you can know that. Everybody do this for me. Go... As long as you can still do that as a child of God, you still have work to be done. You're still growing. If God was finished with you, you'd already be in heaven. But God has you here for a purpose, and God wants you to be what he saved you to be, to experience all the goodness of God. Dabo Sweeney, I believe, is one of the greatest coaches, um, football coaches that, that I've ever seen coach football. He's also um, a strong believer, a great man of God. And I was listening to him at the beginning of this football season on game day, and he was talking about um, how he got through to his players and how he coached them and you know, how he cared about them and the relationship he had on his team. And, and he said something that really stuck with me, and it reminded me of what Paul is saying to the church at Corinth and to us this evening. He said, a player that, I, that can't be corrected or won't be corrected, is a player I can't coach, and I won't coach. That's pretty good stuff. He realized that if a person won't take rebuke and correction, not only is that detrimental to their own growth, but it's also very hurtful for the growth of the team. Same is true with the church. We need to take correction from the word of God, apply this truth to our life, and do what God says do. That's what Paul is saying to them, to us, to all of us. Amen? Now, watch what he, what he tells them. It says something very, very powerful at the end of verse number 17. He says, now this I'm about to declare unto you, I, I'm not going to give you praise in it. He says, for you're coming together and your coming together is not really making you better followers of Jesus, but making you worse. He said, well, wait a minute, brothers. He's talking about them having a meeting and them coming to meet together as a church body. How can that make them worse? Well, I'll tell you how. Mindset. The condition of your heart and how you're thinking when you come together, makes all the difference. Let me tell you what I believe Paul is making clear to them and to us. Listen to me now. Religious ritual does not equal true worship. It doesn't. That's why I tell you every, all the time on Sundays, when we come to meet together as a body of believers, let's come with purpose. Let's be unified in our purpose when we come together to bring honor, glory, and worship to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's what every meeting we have should be about. It's to lift up Jesus. Can you say amen? amen. 
Now, we do that in many different ways. We do it in a, a, a lot of different ways. We, we do it through teaching the Word of God. That's absolutely worship. We do it through the preaching of the Word of God. That's an act of worship. We do it through singing these praise songs and hymn songs. That's an act of worship. We do it through praying uh, with, with thanks, thankful hearts, giving praise to God for what He's done for us, and also showing our dependence on God for what we need. That's an act of worship. Uh, putting uh, our time and offerings in the offering plate. That's an act of worship. All the things that we do when we come together, listen to me now, should be an act of worship. And with the right mindset, it will be. With the right position and condition of our heart, it will be. But it can't be just a religious ritual. Brother Don Wilson used to say something that I love. He said, the only difference between a rut and a grave is a rut's got the ends kicked out of it. And if all we do is make meeting together a religious ritual so that we can feel good about what we've done for the Lord the rest of the week, and sometimes I think that's how we treat coming together for to worship. We treat it like, okay, my obli obligation for serving the Lord this week is done. Now I can go out and do whatever else I want to do. No, no. Listen, what we do in here should absolutely impact how we live out there. If what we sing about and preach about and pray about, if it don't make a difference in how we live on Monday, does it really matter what we've done on Sunday? If it don't make a difference in my home, as a husband and a father, is it really helping me and others? I'm just saying it has to be more than a religious ritual. It truly has to be worship. And worship is not just sung with our lips. It's lived out in our lives. Paul says, what you're doing, how you're acting when you come together, it's not to make you better, it's making you worse. That's a scary thought, isn't it? Now, he gives us three things here that I want you to see, starting in verse number 18. First of all, he makes clear to them that divisions are evident in that church. Watch what he says, verse 18. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. This church had gotten real clicky. They had divided themselves into little groups, little factions. And then one group was getting mad at another group because this group didn't get its way. And it was causing all kinds of turmoil in the church. He's been talking to them about this since chapter 1. He started out with that message. Now, if we're really going to see the danger in divisions in the church, we've got to see what the, the power of a unified church. So I want to show you, um, we're, we're going to look here at what they're doing wrong at the church in Corinth to show us how we can do it right. Paul said there's divisions there and he's not praising them for that. Matter of fact, he's rebuking them because of that. So if, if Paul doesn't want divisions, if the Lord don't want divisions in his family, then what does he want? Well, he wants us to be unified. He wants us to be in one accord. He wants us to worship with the same mind. Unified in purpose, coming together 
to lift up Jesus and worship, yes, with our lips and also with our lives. That's what he's talking about. So let's see, according to Scripture, the power of a unified church. We find it in the book of Acts, the first church. Go with me over to Acts chapter number 1. You don't have to turn there. Brothers, if you will, please put these on the screen for me. First of all, let's start in Acts 1.14. Watch what the Bible says. This is right after Jesus ascended back to the Heavenly Father. And he's left his disciples um, along with uh, about another 110 or 12 more believers uh, about 120 of them in all. And, and, and he says to them, or the Bible says in Acts 1.14, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. So what's it say after Jesus ascended that these early believers, these first believers did? They continued with what? One accord. All right. Fast forward just a few days, about 40 days to be exact. And we see what happens in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse number 1. Watch the, what the Bible says. Acts chapter 2, verse number 1. And when, they, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they, meaning all those 120 believers that were there after the ascension of the Lord, they were all with one accord in one place. Everybody say, one accord in one place. How many of you know it's important that we are together and it's important that we are together in one place? Let me say something to you. The, the, the God will bless His church when His people get together in one place for the purpose of lifting Him up. I can promise you God will and can do amazing things in our lives telling you. There's evidence of it all throughout Scripture. It says right here they were all together with one accord in one place. Verse number 2. Acts 2 and 2. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared in them cloven tongues like of a, as of a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. So here we have uh, God the Holy Spirit coming and indwelling the church. Can you say amen? And when this takes place, listen to me now, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 5. And they were dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. So everybody else that was around the church, outside the church, were confounded. They thought, man, something Big is happening here. Something different is happening here. They didn't understand exactly what it was, but they knew something supernatural was taking place. How many of you know that shouldn't just be said of the first church here in Acts? That needs to be said of our church. 
Man, I want people to look at our church, this body of believers, and say, man, I don't know what it is going on right there, but I know something special is happening in that group of people. I don't know what it is. I Maybe like the, the scripture says here, they may be confounded, but they know something is going on that only God can do. That can happen with us, but first and foremost, we've got to be unified. We've got to be in one accord, unified in our purpose. We must be. Now you say, well, brother, uh, Pentecost is going to happen anyway. Well, maybe so, but I'll tell you, God put in his scripture um, in one accord in one place for a reason. You don't only see it here. Go fast forward with me from Acts uh, 2, uh, these first eight verses. Let's look on down to verse number 46. If you go on and read, and I encourage you to do so, you'll find that Peter stands up and preaches one of the greatest messages that's ever been preached concerning uh, the Old Testament and how Jesus was the fulfillment of all of that and he came to die for our sins, do for us what we can't do for ourselves. The Bible says the people that heard his message were pricked in their heart. They were convicted by God the Holy Spirit to the point they cried out, what shall we do? How, how can we be saved? And then he, he told them that they needed to repent and be baptized and that day guess what happened 3,000 souls were saved on the day of Pentecost 3,000 souls it all started though with God's people being in one accord one place unified in their purpose hungry for what God had for them then the Bible says in Acts 2 46 and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, there it is again, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. I love that. Watch the last verse. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily, 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 the Lord added to the church such as should be saved. All of it started with people being unified in purpose to serve and worship the Lord. Go to Acts chapter 4. Watch this. I love this story. I'm not going to read all of it to you. I'm just going to read a portion here. But in Acts chapter number 4, John and Peter have been arrested for preaching the gospel. And the church were absolutely terrified that they were about to be killed. They were afraid the same ones who had killed Jesus would then kill John and Peter. Look what the Bible says, starting in verse number 23 of Acts chapter 4. And being let go, that means John and Peter, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord, there it is, and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ, for a truth against the holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. What they're saying is, God, you said what was going to happen and you brought it to pass by your power. You've done exactly what you promised. You sent your son. He was treated just like you said he was going to be treated. He did the work that you said he was going to do. And Lord, we praise you for all of it. And they're doing it with one accord. 
I'm going to tell you something. You need to listen. A church who praises in one accord, God pays attention to. A church that comes together with thankful hearts, worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords, God works in and God works through. How do I know it? Well, let's keep reading. Watch what it says. Verse that, go, skip on down to verse number 31. After they had finished their praising of the Lord there, the Bible says, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. Isn't that amazing? There was a literal shaking of the building because the power of God was so strong there. It all happened when God's people got in one accord and started praising Amen? This, this early church didn't just praise in one accord, but they prayed in one accord. Go over to Acts chapter 12. In Acts chapter 12, you're going to find the story of Peter being arrested. Peter was arrested. James, the brother of John, had already been killed by Herod. And now Herod had planned to kill Peter because he knew that pleased the Jews when he killed James. And so the, again, the church is... Um, gathers together and begins praying for the brother. Peter is asleep in the prison, all right? While he is sleeping, an angel comes to the prison, opens the prison doors, causes the shackles from Peter's hands and feet to fall off, and begins leading him out of the prison. It's amazing. Go and read it. I want you to read that this week. That would be a great devotion for you. So when he gets out of the prison where they were, Peter finally comes to himself and realizes he's not dreaming and it's not a vision. It's actually happening. And so he goes over to where the church is praying. All right? Now watch this. Acts chapter 12. The Bible says in verse number 13. Let's just start with verse number 12. And when he had considered a thing came and came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, they were gathered together. Watch this now. What's it say? So they're in one place and with one mind, one heart, praying unto the Lord for the release of Peter. This is some of my favorite scripture in all the Bible. Watch what happens. Verse number 13. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, Thou art mad, but she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, It is an angel. So, get what's going on. Here they are having a prayer meeting in one accord in one place, praying for Peter to be released. Peter walks up, knocks on the door, and they tell the girl who answered, You're nuts. We're praying for Peter. He's in prison. We're praying for him to be released and we don't believe he's at the door. Don't that sound just like us sometimes? We know our needs. We make known to the Lord our needs through prayer. But how many times do we truly believe God is able and will answer? God, because he is gracious, God, because he is loving and good and faithful, many times looks over our faithless prayer and answers them anyway. Aren't you thankful? Many times God gives us 
just what we need when we don't even know we need it. Just because he's so good. But the Bible says, when the church gets together in one accord and prays, God does big things that only God can do. I am not at all excited about what Israel Price can do here. I'm not excited about what you can do here. I'm not excited about what gets done by our ability and power. What excites me is what only God can do by His power in and through us. That's what excites me. That's when God shows up, shows out, saves souls, heals sickness, does the work that only He is capable of. Peter received deliverance because of the prayers of God's people. Who do you know that needs deliverance? Who do you know that's struggling? Who do you know that you can pray for? That we can pray for? I'm telling you, there's power in prayer. A church that praises together, a church that prays together in one accord. God works in, God works on, God works with, and God works through. In one accord. There's power in a unified church. Folks, for the love of God, let's not get clicky. Amen? Let's not be divided. There are going to be times when we don't see eye to eye. Look, we're different. We're different people from different backgrounds and different walks of life. We got different personalities. All that's true. And I may not see things exactly like you see things. And you may not see things exactly like I see things. But guess what? We're still brothers and sisters in Jesus. Still. And, guess, and if I've got a problem with you, I'm going to come talk to you about it. And we're going to work it out. Because that's my brother. Amen? I love this brother right here. So thankful for him, Danny Jones. He's always been uh, so, so supportive and an encourager to me. And I'm going to tell you something, though. There's a lot of things that me and Danny may not see eye to eye on. But if we don't, I'm going to go to him and I'm going to work it out, me and him. You may tell you why. Because I don't want to lose a brother. Because that's what matters. So when we are divided because of difference of opinion, then you handle it the way God says to handle it. Take it to that person. And I encourage you. I hope you have always felt this way and, and you've heard me say this and if you've got a problem with something I've said something I've preached something I've done believe me I make mistakes just like everybody else come and let's talk about it we'll deal with it that's how we work things out I don't want to be divided division quenches the Holy Spirit division hinders the work that God wants to do why did he not praise the church at Corinth? Why was he giving them this strong rebuke? Because they were divided. And division is dangerous for the people of God. Division is certainly dangerous for the lost. Let me tell you why. 
If we're divided and fighting amongst ourselves in here, why would those out there want what we've got? Why would they want to be a part of that? John chapter number 13, verse number 35, Jesus said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. When the lost and dying world looks to the body of Christ, they are to see a family that loves one another. Because that's what we are. Let's not be divided. Let's not hinder the work of God. Hey, let's love one another. Let's work differences out. That's what God has commanded us to do. We'll talk more about that later. There, the divisions were evident there in the church. But not only were there division there, but distinctions were made. Look, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. Let's go to one more verse before we move on. All right? Y'all okay with that? Philippians. Go to Philippians. Let's see. I'm going to need to, to skim just a minute right here. This is so good. Philippians 2, verse 1. Watch this. Paul is talking now to the church at Philippi about not being divided, about being in one accord of the same mind, unified in purpose. And he goes more in depth on how we do that, how we kick division out of the church. Watch what he says. If there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded. There's that one mind, one accord. Having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done, watch this now, through strife. Do you know what strife is? It's when two factions are fighting against one another. He said that, that's not how the church operates. It's when two cliques are mad because they didn't get their way. He said let nothing be done like that. Let nothing be done through vainglory. It shouldn't be about our vanity that we're wanting something done or our pride or our selfishness. We want it because we want it and it don't matter what nobody else wants. That ain't how this works. That's what he's saying. Let nothing be done through that. Go on. Watch what, watch what else he tells us. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Isn't that good? Verse 4, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal God, but made himself of no reputation. Watch, I love this part. And took upon himself the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Watch, and being found in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So if we're really going to be Christ-like, what do we got to do? We've got to humble ourselves. We've got to esteem others better than ourselves. We've got to become a servant and be obedient to what God wants, not what we want. 
We need to serve to meet the needs of others instead of only worrying about I or mine. Do you agree or disagree? If you want to keep division down, that's how you do it. You let that same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Now, divisions were evident. Distinctions were made. Go back to 1 Corinthians. Chapter number 11. And look down at verse number 19. For when... For there must also be heresies among you that they which are approved but be made manifest among you. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not for the eating of the Lord's Supper. Now, let me read that to you in the Amplified to clear it up a little bit. So when you gather together for your meetings, it is, it, it is not the supper instituted by the Lord that you eat. It, really what he's saying is you're eating the Lord's Supper in a wrong way for the wrong reason. Okay? Now, now let's go on. Verse number uh, 21. For in eating, everyone taketh before the other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. So let's talk about that. First of all, it was customary in the early church for the church to share meals together. We already saw it in Acts chapter 2, uh, verses 46 through 48. The Bible says they um, ate their meat with gladness and singleness of heart day by day. Right? They were continually sharing meals together. In one accord, and the Lord kept adding to the church. Not only was that true with the church in Acts, but it's also true with the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth had every week what was called the agape feast. We know agape in the Greek language means love. So what really what they, they had called it, what it started as, was the love feast. It's when God's people come together in fellowship with one another, uh, showing and sharing the love of Jesus. Amen? And they would all bring some, a big potluck dinner and, and enjoy some time spent with one another. They'd do that on a weekly basis. At the end of that love feast, they would have the Lord's Supper. All right? But the problem with the love feast is it didn't live up to its name. They weren't being very loving. How do we know that? Well, look what Paul says. First of all, he says, For in eating, verse 21, one taketh before his own supper, and one is hungry. So really what was going on is that you had some people in the church who had a lot of money. They, had, they, were, they were pretty well off, and you had some others that didn't have much. And, and the ones that had a lot of money were bringing a lot of food, but they wasn't sharing it. They were eating their food and letting their brothers and sisters in Christ not have anything. So one was getting full at the love feast while he saw his brother or sister over there starving. He was eating what he had, but was not sharing what he had. And not only, not only that, but, but look at the next verse. Look at verse number 22. He says, what, have you not houses to eat in and to drink in or despise you the church of God and shame them that have not? Not only were they not sharing the, the, uh, the food they had, if they were wealthy enough to bring a lot, they were shaming them that had nothing. They might have been saying something like, I tell you what, if he'd have tried, he could have made something out of himself. I, I tell you what, if God helps those who helps themselves, and, and if he ain't going to help himself, I ain't going to help him. They might have been saying that. You ever heard that? You ever sensed that attitude with some people? 
And so Paul says, I'm not praising you of these things. I'm rebuking you. You're supposed to be a family. Knit together. The Bible says, by the love of Christ. And bless God, if I've got something to eat, we all going to divide it up and eat till it's gone. what he tells them one's hungry but then he says others are drunken they were bringing their wine and their food and some of them were eating or drinking more than they should and so they were actually getting drunk at the love feast in the church and then at the end of it they would partake of the Lord's Supper Paul says, no, this is not how the child of God, the church of God, is supposed to be doing things. So there was, first of all, divisions, distinctions. The the haves would not give to the have-nots. Let me just say one more thing about that before I go on. Folks, listen to me. Regardless of what your bank statement says. Regardless of what rung you feel you're on on the social ladder. Regardless of how powerful you think you may be or you're not. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And if another person, man, woman, boy, or girl has placed trust in Christ for the forgiveness of sin and been born again into the family of God that is my brother or my sister and should be treated as such with the same respect James deals with this over in the book of James he says that um, the the people were, uh, were, were given the good seats in the church to the ones who had the nice clothes and the fancy rings while the ones who didn't have anything they kind of got thrown away to the back pushed to the back and so there was a class system in the church this is not new stuff it's always been around God's always been against it so there should be no distinction we all need Jesus And if we've trusted in him, we're all in the family of God. So let's act like it. That's what he's telling us. Then there's some direction given concerning the Lord's Supper. Look down at verse number 23. And we're going to go through this very quickly. And um, first of all, I want you to see verses 23 through 26. Let's read it together. For I received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you that the Lord Jesus the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said to eat, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance. So what he's telling us is the first thing we've got to do when we're, we're taking part of the Lord's Supper is to look back, to remember what Jesus has done for us. Um, that his body was broken, his blood was shed. For each and every one of us, he tasted death for every man. And so we remember what he's done. Look, look down at verse number 26. Watch what it says. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death. 
So we're looking back, but also at the end of verse 26, he says, don't just look back, but look forward. Look at the last part of that verse. Till he come. Till he come. How many of y'all are thankful that this world is not all we have to look forward to? I don't know about you, but I'm about sick of this place. Man, when I look around and see all that's going on in the world we live in, the injustice that's going on in the world we live in, the, the people who call right wrong and wrong right, the people who blatantly flaunt their sin in the face of God who is holy, I'm thankful King Jesus is returning. I'm thankful he's promised to come and receive us unto himself that where he is, there we may be also. I'm thankful we have a promise of a city not made with the hands of men. I'm thankful one day all that's wrong in this world will be set right by King Jesus. That day's coming. But till he comes, we're going to remember who he is and what he's done. We look back and we look forward, but watch this next part. This is truly very important for every one of us. Verse 27, we got to look within ourselves. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So what he says is, you can't drink unworthily. Well, how do you drink unworthily? The only person that is unworthy to partake of the Lord's Supper is the person who's not yet trusted in Jesus. Or the Christian who has unconfessed sin in their life and are outside the will of God. So communion is a great time for us to look within ourselves. Where are we at with the Lord? Examine our life. Examine our choices. Examine just what's happening with us in the Lord. And Paul says, because some of you are drinking unworthily, some have got sick, some have died. This is a very serious thing. So we need to look back, we need to look forward, we need to look within, but now listen. He also says this, we've got to look around. We've got to look around and fix some of the stuff that was going on here. Watch how he puts it. Go down to verse number um, uh, let's just re go on and read verse number uh, 30. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. For if we should judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Verse uh, 33. Look around now. Watch what he says. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. Tarry one for another. You know what that means? Wait. One for another. And if you're going to share a love feast, love your brother enough to wait on him and all of you eat together. Right? We fix it. We fix it. And we fix it by looking around and seeing the problem and doing what's necessary according to God's truth and by his power to fix what's wrong. Strong rebuke is needed for growth, I'm glad the word of God gives it to us when we need it. Any comments or questions?